Bobcast with Old Bay Brigade, hosted by Rooster and the Villain. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of the Maryland Bobcast. It's a very special episode. We're going to have a very special guest today. I don't want to get to it too quickly. First, I want to introduce our regulars. Alex, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad, man. Good to see everybody tonight. Jake, how are you? How's El Paso? It's good. Uh, I feel feel kind of bad. The sun's still up for me here. So, uh, what time? What time is it there? Uh, Seven forty-two, nine forty-two yeah. on the East Coast here. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I could be down with that. And <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, last but not least, we have a very special guest. If you're a fan of Nisa uh, Nisa soccer at all, you recognize this voice. It's the sultry tones of none other than Dan Creel. Dan Creel, how you doing? Well, hello. Now I'm on the spot about sultry tones. <laughs> now I've got a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> there you go. This, this live recording. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the second second ever Maryland Bobcast. Which, yeah, which what I do you love. think I of the, the name? name? I mean, I love like, it. Um, yeah. yeah, you seem like a dad joke kind of guy. Is that accurate to say about you? Oh, yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, here's the thing. I'm a dad, so any joke I make, my kid is just it thinks it's a dad joke, right? So... Yeah, no, it's a good one. I, yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. The Mario and Bob cast. Has your uh, you've got an eighth grader? I have an eighth grader. For he's got he's got one more week. He's got one more week in eighth grade. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. he a soccer guy? He is not. I t- <laughs> he's not. <laughs> but I took him to a game last last year, and he had fun for the half that it was that, that it was played. That was the Detroit City game. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we had a good time, and then the 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 weather happened and the goals happened and, and yeah that was a long that was a long night yeah that was rough we uh i brought one of my coworkers that night who had never been to a match i'm like talking it up we sat there and it was fine in the first half and then when we went to the car we stopped at uh the food stand and they were out of food so that was a that was an omen and then we sat in the car for what was it an hour and hour and 10 minutes it was a long night it was and then a Detroit City uh, left Nisa and it's and it's wake and is now uh, doing pretty well in the USL Championship. But we don't want to talk about any of that. We've got Dan Creel here tonight. I'm I'm just I'm I'm fascinated how you got interested in lower league soccer because now with with nice to say Nisa and protagonist, you guys are in my opinion kind of the mouthpiece of of lower league soccer in America, and I, I think you do a wonderful job of bringing attention to lower leagues that normally wouldn't get any attention at all. So how did you become interested in lower league soccer? Ooh, that's a, that's a long story. So I'll, I'll go, I'll time, go quickly. I'll, I'll go quickly. Um, so, excuse me. Uh, so my dad, uh, what used to be in the Navy, he got, uh, he was uh, over in, uh, based over in England. He was based in London. That's where he met his mom. My mom is English. So they got married. They had myself and my brother. And I lived in England until I was about five and a half, almost six years old, and then moved back to the U.S. My dad's from Mississippi. So when we did that, that you know, as a little kid who grew up in that British culture, I brought soccer with me, right? So it was just kind of part of, part of always part of who, who I was, always kind of there in the background. I kind of hung on to that. So, but this happened in the, well, to be honest with you, late seventies and eighties where soccer, you know, was obviously happening in the U S but it was kind of way, not nearly as popular as it is now. And so, you know, we had four channels and basically sports were just baseball and and football on on those channels. So soccer was happening, but it was happening elsewhere. So I, I wasn't really around it. And in Mississippi, I didn't have a chance to play 
I only got a chance to play one year when my dad was part of the oil boom. He ended up in Houma, Louisiana. I got to play soccer for a year. So uh, I grew up, I uh, went to college, and in college, the U.S. got the World Cup, 94 World Cups, and they made it to the 90 World Cup. So they showed some of the matches on ESPN. I remember watching the Tad Ramos goal that got them into the, the World Cup in 1990. Uh, graduated from college, and then I moved to D.C. is where I am now. So I've been here ever since. And uh, huge soccer culture here in D.C., uh, because people are from from everywhere else, and, and they bring their culture with them. So soccer was always a thing here. And it was that period between the 90 World Cup, the 94 World Cup, and MLS starting. And so I was lucky enough to, to move here at that time. DC United got started. Lucky enough to see early DC United matches. They became the team that they were back in the 90s. And I got season tickets to DC United, got to watch those great teams, right? Great teams in early MLS DC United, LA Galaxy, all those great teams. And so I followed DC United. They were my team. And then I just kind of, to be honest with you, the early 2000s, I just kind of lost interest in, in DC United and MLS. And I can't really tell you why. I, I mean, there's probably tons of reasons. I haven't really dug into it, but it just kind of drifted away from it. I kind of drifted away from soccer a little bit. I would watch it a bit on TV here or there, but I didn't really have a team. And so what Basically, what happened is, was it 2018, I think, 2019? I can't remember. Um, I, I started getting back into it. I've got a background in history, and I'm always interested in soccer history as part of that. And so I just got back into soccer history. I was doing a little bit here and there. And I don't have no, I don't, I don't remember why, but I went on Reddit, and I was looking at what soccer history Reddit they had. <clears throat> and I just happened to see somebody asked a question about soccer history, and I dug into it, and I, I responded in, in kind of, it's kind of probably way over the top way with a bunch of information. And the person who saw it was, was connected to protagonist soccer when it just got started. It was one of the early people who were, who were involved with it. And they said, Oh, there's this thing called protagonist soccer. They do this soccer stuff. You got to talk to Dan Vaughn. He'd be really interested in this. Tell him I sent you. So I was like, okay, this is cool. So I sent an email to Dan Vaughn and I said, this is the situation that's happened. Here's kind of what I wrote and in Dan, true Dan Vaughn style. Now I know it's just kind of this personality. It was like, what is this about? What's going on here? Why are you contacting me? <laughs> um, and so I, I gave him the heads up and he, you know, like again, and after that initial kind of email in true Dan Vaughn style, it was like, yeah, come on board. We, we have this thing. I'd love to have you on board. Let's, let's, you know, just throwing stuff at me to do. And so protagonist, like you said, it's, it's focus is on lower league soccer. And so, uh, through soccer history and my general love of soccer, I started working with Dan Vaughn and protagonist to to be having more focus on on lower league soccer. And at the same time that was happening, uh, world class Premier Elite, which is now Maryland Bobcats, were on their run and and just um, they were doing really well in the local leagues. And I think they were in the UPSL at that time. So um, I, I I remember writing a short piece on them for the U.S. Open Cup when they were in the U.S. Open Cup 2018, 2019, just a piece. Um, and I went back and looked at it a, a while ago because it just kind of hit me. And I did talk about, like, I think Evan Ramos was in goal for that for that match, just having to write about him. So when World Class Premier Elite was making their run in the UPSL at the end of 2019, they then rebranded as Maryland Bobcats, right? They, they were making that uh, proactive leap into something bigger. They were trying to build what they are now. And um, 
that's kind of fed in fed into my interest more that I had this local lower league team who's who's trying to become a professional team in this independent way and 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 um that's how I got interested in in well Nisa was happening but with the Bobcats getting involved I get more interested in Nisa so that was kind of the connection of Nisa and Maryland Bobcats um and me talking about lower league soccer so so how did the how did the Bobcats' interest then turn into to Knights Who Say Nisa and and how's Knights Who Say Nisa going? I, I guess it's been in existence about is it about a year at this point? Uh, it started. It honestly, it started when Nisa started. So that fall twenty nineteen season, right? They started doing it. So I I had been involved with with protagonists. I got a little bur- bit burnt out, and that was my own problem when I stepped away for a bit. Uh, uh, because I tried to wrap my arms around the entire world of lower league soccer and, and like, you know, talk about it, fix all its problems, which everybody does. It's, it's funny. You'll get these young, young people who are like, get really interested in soccer. And like, I'm going to talk about the pyramid and create a structure. And you're like, go for it, young person. Go. It's like a rite of passage. You got to go in there. You got to build your maps. You got to rank all the teams. You got to slot them into places and then you're going to burn out. And then, you're and then you realize out. you're fighting the U.S. soccer federation exactly. itself. And <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, John Howard Fusco and Dan Vaughn started doing it. They were they were doing it um, that fall of 2019, and then I kind of got back more involved with protagonist and was and was kind of talking about Nisa on my own. And at one point, uh, Dan I think said, "Why don't you come on? Why don't you just talk to us?" And that's kind of how it happened. I, I went on with for one episode and basically fumbled around and and just didn't didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah, then, I mean. They invited uh, me back, and, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I started listening to the end of last season, and then this season, it's it's just great to it's a great way to just keep up on what's happening in the Nisa table across us across Nisa. But I also want to give Jake and uh, Alex a chance to ask you questions, since you know you're, you're famous around these parts. You, we, we, <laughs> I called you the the our sect leader earlier in an email, but we have. What are what are some other nicknames we have? Hey, I don't know. Are, but are your sex? Did you say sex leader? No, sect. Sect. Sex. Sex. Like, sex leader. I don't know if he's better than sex Excuse leader. Me. Okay. Hey, wait, 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 wait. It depends. Did Did you use the lawnmower 4.0 today? If so, then we can talk. But otherwise, no. Uh, what did I? What was one of the workshop titles? The Church of the Church of Dan Creel. Oh God! Oh, <laughs> right up there. Right up. Amen. Right up there with uh, "Don't bring a bobcat to a cockfight." <laughs> the Einstein of Nisa soccer. I'm gonna make sure to say <laughs> that working title every single podcast. There you go. For the record. So you uh, you've been in DC for for how long again? I moved here basically the very beginning of '93. Okay. So were you? Uh, were you watching any of the uh, the Maryland Terrapins soccer because they've had some some good teams around that time? They did. No, I, I never, I never really got into them because I think they they were. You, it was difficult for me to find them on television. I think. I think oh. if they were available on on cable, um, I probably would have watched them more. They were. They were. It was happening. I never actually went to the game. Um, uh, I should have. It's something I kind of actually regret not doing it. I was actually at a. Um, uh, I took a grad program at, at, at College Park a few years ago, and they were playing. They would be playing on the field as I was leaving, and I was just kind of like, I would just pass by. I, I, that was one of the things I kind of should have done. Is just stopped and walked over and, and watched the match. I, I regret that, but no, I, I, I didn't watch uh, UMD as much as I should have. Sadly, oh, okay. yeah. 
I've talked about we had a um, a guy from he played at Michigan State around the 2000 era, and it was interesting to hear him talk about college soccer around that era because there wasn't lower league soccer as as we know mm-hmm. it now. There was no UPS uh, USL League Two, um, League One, League Two Championship NISA. There just wasn't an option. So college soccer around that time was the de facto, you know, what we see in NISA now, but. Uh, I think we're digressing a little bit. Maybe we should uh, jump back into to the to the Bobcats a, a bit since we're that's why we're here. Um, I kind of want to just jump right into the Syracuse Pulse match and see what your all thoughts are about it. It was a nil nil draw on the road, so we got a point. It wasn't a great feeling point, but Jake, you got any any thoughts on that? I was I was thinking about it today actually because. Um... I was just going over what I wanted to talk about and I had, I had cut my hand at work and like, that's like when I was thinking about the match, I was like, man, it was like a, like a paper cut where it's like, Oh, it's not, you know, we got a point. And then like later on you think about it, you're like, man, this freaking sucks. Like it was just annoying. I, uh, like halftime, it was that type of soccer game that people that hate on soccer like to bring up like, Oh, nil, nil or whatever. Like I, I felt myself dozing off at certain points and, I uh, actually, before I say anything like else about the game, I want to preface it. Obviously, if I could play for the Bobcats, I would play for the Bobcats. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. I play in a fat guy seven on seven league. So, but the reason I think a lot of us get so upset is because like this team is good. Like we've all been watching this team for a while. We we know what this team's capable of. Like I, I started watching it the around the time they were winning the UPSL championship. And uh, it's just frustrating to see because this team is super talented. They they shouldn't be going nil-nil with a team like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you think some of the problems were in the matchup? Like in the in the time periods, like I one of the one of my notes with the times was uh, we keep getting lucky. Score should probably be three zero pulse right now. There were just shots that we, especially from the ones from uh, Carpe on like certain breakaways where he's one-on-one with the keeper and he just bungles it and it goes to the right, I believe like stuff like that, like absolutely shouldn't be happening. It just seemed like they were, they were getting us into positions, especially with Carpe the most where he was just by himself. Molly scared the ever loving hell out of me. Yeah. Like times. When they were, when the pulse came to the plex, Molly was neutralized. And I don't know if it was coming back to his old, stomping grounds per se or what but he seemed neutralized and i was like okay maybe i'm not worried about him but like he was all over the place in that match but like you said it was very much a quintessential non-football watcher football match it was it's it felt flat um and listen it's been a rough turn of form uh, a point is acceptable is not what I wanted to see, but it's, it's something and it's a building block. Um, I think I would have rather seen a win going into this next gap followed by Michigan, followed by a gap, followed by Michigan, but <clears throat> it's a, a point, weird point, a point in the season with so many gaps. It's like two weeks in between games. Well, after the, after the July 9th Michigan match, there's a month. 
It's like the it's like the person who wrote the it's like whoever did the the list for Nisa or the schedule for Nisa just like did a line of coke and then threw Scrabble <laughs> tiles on a piece of paper and we're like there we go that's it. So they, there is a, a kind of a, uh, uh, a quiet period in July. I think they they planned it. it uh, different teams are staggered that way, but yeah, the the kind of scheduling around that quiet period has been. We we, had t- we talked about it on nights that Flower City and Bay Cities have both played twelve, and uh, Bay Cities is played, getting walloped. Yeah, and 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 right now. They're just getting walloped with oh, okay. the yeah, amount yeah, yeah, of yeah. matches they're getting hit with. Yeah, and Albion has seven, and like the Stars have seven. It's such a, it, it's way too too much of a difference in scheduling where you have a after twelve where a team has twelve games and a team has seven games. It, it just throws everything off. It really just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The game in hand situation just makes it so so weird. Yeah, and it, already you're seeing so much separation in the table where. It seems like the, the playoff picture in the West is almost kind of set, especially with Value, Value United's uh, you know points that were taken away, and it, maybe not so much in the East. Like a game away at Pulse in the early going, you would have thought that Bobcats—that's three points on the road—wasn't um, so much the case here. And, I, and like Jake said, I, I thought they were giving up a lot of lot of chances. Uh, Pulse could have put in one, two, or three. In the first half, and I, I thought I heard you say in nightstand that you know Maryland looked better, the defense looked a little better, they were oh, getting yeah. chances, which is all yeah. true. But I thought that was kind of kind of both ways in that game. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. That's a, that's the thing. The first half, and and this is not oh, not great because <laughs> they didn't score. It's because it, it, it was talked about how their their current run of play has been actually really bad. That first half was the best they've looked probably since what the flower city union win, you know, um, the first half of that match, maybe that Michigan stars half of the match. Cause since that tie with Michigan stars, they have progressed backwards, honestly. And so the positive I took out of this Syracuse match was they got a point. They hadn't had a point in three, they've lost three straight and they actually looked good in that first half. Like I took that like, Oh, everything's kind of clicking. The office is clicking. The defense isn't scrambling. Like they don't know what they're doing. They're, 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 they're clean shake. They're organized. They're playing really well. They didn't score that first, first half, which, which is, is a problem. The second half, there was adjustments that were made. Syracuse decided we're going to try to come and score a goal. Like Syracuse, the past two matches has basically been nothing. They, they haven't, not that they haven't scored. They just really haven't, they haven't looked great at all on the offense. And so, the second half, they decided they're going to step up the tempo, and it worked. They took it to Maryland, and Syracuse had the better half the second half. It looked like Maryland, it felt to me like they were playing for a draw, not to lose that second half, and they they, they were on the back foot. But again, <clears throat> they still looked a lot better than the, the previous matches. So that's the positive I took out of it, and I talked about this on, on, on nights. You're right, this is a match that they should win. They should, have, they should have beat Syracuse Pulse, but it's an away match and it's a draw, so you get a point. So, okay. And they've they've looked like looked better than have after that. I think you're right. I think what they do against Michigan, they have to improve. Like they, they can't they can't settle for, for where they are now. They've got they have they're they have way more talent than drawing nil-nil at Syracuse and then kind of 
playing the same way or, or regressing against against Michigan stars. And I can't I can't tell you if that happens. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but yeah, they they've had a difficult time. They kind of started to right the ship against Syracuse Pulse. Now you need to see them step up and play even better. And put for me, put shots on goal against Michigan Stars. They didn't really put shots on goal against Syracuse. The offense looks okay. They're they're moving things around. They're keeping possession, but they weren't really putting enough actual shots. And, and the shots that the shots that did come from them, I just felt like Gagliardi played excellent for the shots he did. Yeah, take. he did. Like in the pre, the lead up to that match, when they were like, "Yeah, they picked up Gagliardi. He was a, he was a thirty second pick in the MLS Super Draft." I was like, "God damn it!" I was like, "Of course they have some kid that's gonna be that that at least is gonna hold up." Um, but um, I feel like Molly stood did a really good job in that match from Syracuse. Um, I feel like seeing Elijah and Darwin back up front, I feel like there was some nice passing. Like you said, Dan, the first half looked much cleaner than the second. The second half, like, I think if they would have put up something in the first, we would have seen a completely different second half. I mean, I don't think – I think going into the second half, they felt like they had to play on the back foot because they had to cover their asses essentially. And I think like what you were saying with going into Michigan – They've got to do something, even if it's a draw. They've got to put point. They've got to put balls in the net to show that they're getting they're on the right path back. Even if even if it's a draw, you can draw away at Romeo. That's fine. Well, it's acceptable. Don't let me say it's fine, but put something in the net. And don't make the if there's anything given up, don't make it a crap giveaway don't let it be like that that corner kick against chatta where it just rolled past and we can't do that stuff anymore so so dan you sent an email after our first episode where we were kind of floundering with their formation when we were talking and you 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 gave us a sense of what they're doing they they the original plan was three in the back two wing backs and then away from home, they were going to go four in the back, two defensive center midfielders, one kind of covering the defense, one box to box. And then it seems like that's kind of what they've done since the beginning of the season. So have you seen any change in this, in this poor run of form they, they have had or have they tried anything new? So, you know, I do think it's the, I don't think it's a coincidence that the injuries that happen all at once is what led to the poor run of form. And, and I think is Maryland deeper than they have been last year. Yes, but they're not as deep as uh, Chattanooga. They're not as deep as Cal United. You see both of those, you see, especially Cal United losing players, getting injured and they plug new players in and they keep steamrolling. Uh, Maryland's not, we see, we've seen that they've got had injuries and they really, basically it really hurt them. Um, so yeah, they lost, their two best attacking players um, they lost uh, Davy Mason, who's important both on defense and on the wing. He, he, he provides a lot of offense and, and he, he'll, he'll track back and he's, he's a great defender. They lost all of those three players in the span of two, three games. And then, so they're scrambling to fill those holes and then move players around to try to try the right fit. And you see the team bring in uh, Alawine to, to help kind of, plug in the 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 defensive midfield holding midfield position um 
to kind of move Poseidon up to, to hopefully uh, give him something to attack. And you, I do think that, you know, Amo and Espinal and Mason are now back. They were all back in the last game against Syracuse. And you saw they looked better. They just looked so much better than they had the previous few games. They just got to score goals, right? That, we're going to hammer that, but 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 that's true. So for me, it was, I think, for two things. So the main one is they had a bunch of injuries all at the same time, and they just had to kind of deal with it in the span of three or four games. The three in the back, um, you know, I'm not smart enough to tactically to tell you <laughs> why, kind of what was going wrong and what the other teams were taking advantage of. But, you know, when you got three in the back, um, practically you got to spread those center backs wider out, right? You got one in the middle and then two wider out in the sides, and it gives more space for the attackers to take advantage of in that space. And for me, from my kind of uneducated viewer is an uneducated viewer that's what i saw was happening like even teams like flower city i think that what was he was played at home was it flower city no syracuse did it um was making runs at that back line and was just catching them off guard and 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 they were having to scramble back um and so then since that first one or two home matches it looks like they've basically gone to a four in the back and they, i don't think they've really gotten back gone back to that three in the back um, in back lineup since then. Yeah, it looked like uh, the the same lineup we've been seeing formation wise, and then the addition of uh, Espinal on the left wing. But was Amo up top in the in the last game? There- Actually, I wanted to I wanted to ask something about that as well because that was in my one of the things I made sure to highlight in my notes was Amo was absolutely everywhere. Like I saw him. As a center forward, he would overlap with Boone on the right side. And then I remember him coming up and picking up a ball off a player somewhere where like a right wing back would be playing defense at. And is he is he playing there like out of because they believe he can do it or is he doing it because they need him to do it? You think? I mean, he's he's uh, he's super impressive to watch his like instinct on when to make runs and you know, when to come back is, is really impressive. It was really impressive. He's an impressive player. He's very so think, noticeable out there. Yeah. Yeah. I was worried that he had to backtrack so much. Like it, it seemed like they needed him to backtrack and great. You've got him. He can do it. Like if, if you've got the ability, if you've got Amo on your team, he can get, go deeper and kind of help out with possession and getting the ball back and bringing it forward. But you don't want him back there so much. You want him up, up top. Um, but I think that was just the situation with the game is that, they weren't they weren't getting good looks at goals they weren't scoring and so he was backtracking a lot to try to get things started and help things out um i do think i think our defensive midfielders uh poseidon is that how you say his name Uh, he he to me can you know he's a great tackler but i think he is a little bit sloppy in possession you see there's less him and gonzalez both I, i feel like there's a lack of progression in that area of the field and Again, I'm uneducated as well. As if anyone from the team is listening, I'm just an idiot in my basement on a Friday night with a microphone, so don't listen to me. But to me, that that does look like an area of the field where we're lacking right now. So, so um, the Bobcats rely on Manny Gonzalez, kind of holding that a defensive midfield, holding midfield position, and then looking to spring folks. Like they are going to rely on him to keep possession a little bit deeper in the midfield and then try to 
get passes off and try to try to spring the attack. So if he's not playing well, if he's like like if you're saying like in the Syracuse game, he's kind of like off his game. That's going to be a problem for the Bobcats. They need him to be on his game to help create the attack when it's coming out of the coming out of the back. I mean, it could also be that the attacking four have not played together, you know, in several weeks too, and that's some of the lack of cohesion there. But I guess in the end, it is a point on the road. It's an improvement. It's a clean sheet. I brought Manny Gonzalez up last uh, last time we talked, and I think like like Dan was saying, and it's every time I'm like, yeah, like Dan was saying, I'm gonna just build off of him. He knows what he's talking about. Um, if Manny takes more than that two or three beats to pass, the play breaks. If he's quick and there's a break, like Elijah's breaking down the field, he gets it and it's beautiful. Um, that going all the way back to the open cut match, Manny was just getting the ball and looking and that in that moment, the play was breaking. So for him to, for him to have success in the midfield, there's gotta be those breaks and he's gotta be able to get it there without too much time wasted. Now, Elijah, what you were saying, Jake, he kind of reminds me of a, um, I play hockey. He reminds me of like a center forward that's just everywhere. And you're like, man, how the hell did he get there? How did he get there to get that ball? How is he now getting down the field and, and ripping a shot off or, or getting it to, to Darwin in, in this forward third. Um, but it, having him run like that isn't going to be sustainable in the long run. There's got to be outlets for him. And that's what I that's what I fear of watching the few t- the the couple of times I've seen him play live. I just worry that you're going to burn him out. Yeah, the uh, the the thing about him, like what I guess, like a soccer comparison is like the um, like the Pep Guardiola version of Messi, false nine type thing. And then if he didn't have to track back, like he'd be that much more dangerous in that role. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. How the uh, the midfield and and front four gel a little more going forward and and another thing just one more observation about about the the Bobcats in general is there have been dangerous off of set pieces from an individual perspective you've seen two goals from Espinal you saw the Clegg rocket in the Chattanooga game but it never seems like we put a dangerous ball in off of a of a set piece off of a corner like have am I just you know looking criticizing too much there but. I just feel like I haven't seen it. Like you never see that dangerous ball in from, from the Bobcats there. And it feels like something. I feel like if it's coming off of Brandon's foot or Darwin's foot, it can be dangerous. But if it's coming off of anybody else's foot and not getting to where Brandon Clegg is standing, I, I, I don't disagree with your sentiment. I just feel like, I feel like we're leaning on Clegg for those, those last minute drills. You know what I mean? He's the only one that can hang with the big bodies of Michigan. You know, <laughs> trademark. I was going to say one more thing about Clegg. We were talking about like the the midfielders like moving the ball up. It felt like to me this game, the best passes out of the back were from Clegg. Like without a doubt, like his long ball, his like him just passing out of the back in general is is awesome. Oh yeah, his I've been super impressed with with his play. But yeah, he's his ability to send long balls out of the back with pretty good accuracy 
it's pretty impressive. And, and, and there's, there's games where he's been on one side of the field in the backfield, another, and send a diagonal pass all the way up the field to a, an attacking player that has helped spring them. So, yeah, his long he's, range he's passing asset. is always on point. Yeah. And then if we're if we're finishing up with this, um, one of the things I had a question with was um, like towards the end of the game, I think it was the 79th minute. Um, there was some sort of like I forgot who was down on the ground. Someone was down on the ground and Calker came out and it looked like Clegg said something to him and pushed him. Like, was he just saying like, hey, get back in the goal or was that like legitimate I, anger? I feel like I've seen this now happen multiple matches where Calker is losing his shit. Yeah. I mean, the other the other night during a hockey game, my teammate got hooked, took the guy's stick, and threw it like a javelin out of the rink. I feel like uh, there was the other match. I, I can't remember. Was it you were there, Dan? Was it the match against Chattanooga where he came out and got in the ref's face like right at halftime? And they had to like drag him back. And like I feel like we're seeing that, that I don't know if it's something if it's miscommunication or if he's upset with calls. It just seems like he's like up here. Bobcats have a history with uh, overreacting goalies, as I recall from last year. Yes. Oh yeah. So yeah, I think that, that's a, that's a good point. I think like another part of Clegg's game is to basically be on Cocker watch to, to basically like notice if Christian is getting a little bit hotter than the collar and basically to say. Go back. Christian. He moves up the field quite a bit. He comes, he he comes out of the air. Oh, he comes flying. He likes, to ra- he likes to range. But the thing is, last game against Syracuse, well, uh, Gagley already played super well, right? He was the man of the match for me. But Cocker, I thought, play, played really well last match. He does. Yeah. Um, he does have a tendency to get out of the box, but it worked It worked on this game, and, and, he, and he, played, he played really well, other than about to kind of lose his... Lose his as long as he... It, like. Go for it. Run out of the box. Throw a throw a punch on the ball. Whatever. Just don't get burnt. When yeah. you get burnt, you're burnt bad. Yeah, the carpe the carpe one was a serious burn. the The one where he he shanked it to the right. That was he got around him pretty yeah. easy. That should have been a goal. That one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that oh, was yeah. a, a wide open breakaway. I can't. I I cannot for life of me figure out why. Why the Bobcats always allow so many breakaways? It just—it's bonkers. It boggles my mind. I can't. It doesn't make any sense. They just do. They just, yeah. It it like it wasn't at seemingly as bad last match, but I was also watching the match while driving coming home from Delaware. So while you were driving actively, yeah, I was oh actively boy. driving. We don't condone that wasn't here on Rooster and the, the the Maryland Bobcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was on a, it was hands Tesla hands free. Um, so like it just wasn't as bad, but they're like the you said, Dan, the Flower City match, like right down the middle. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. I'm just like, where is this happening from? Like, why why are we getting to this point? Yeah, and the other thing was. Like Flower City would just go through it like a hot knife on butter through the Maryland midfield of defense, and then Maryland they had honestly had just kind of lost it the past couple of games. Their passes out from the, the the backfield was just going straight up the field, 
you would see them clear a pass and it would just go centered right straight up the field and get hit uh, like an opposing player on the team. And I was like, why, what's going on? Why are you kicking the ball like on a straight line back up the field every single time? It was, yeah. That's another thing, Dan. I don't know. Sorry. That, that's another thing, Dan, that I've noticed. The 50-50 ball. Am I crazy to, to feel like they're never getting those 50-50 balls? Yeah. It, it, I, again, it, it, it wasn't that way at the beginning of the season. It was, they, you know, they're very comfortable in possession. They're comfortable in defense, comfortable in the attack. And then that kind of bad string of games they've had, yeah, they would just lose most of the 50-50. I thought the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. that Like when it gets lopped up the field, I'm like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, they're going to yeah. – the here comes possession change. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah. that's that with what you were asking for, uh, Mike, the, they've got to see some of that stuff before they see Michigan next week. They got to get that stuff under control. They got to be go, like, you're going up against some of the biggest dudes in the league. You got to be able to get up or at least you've got to put a fight up for that ball. Yeah. I mean, at, at you, this point, you're looking at the Eastern Conference, and sadly, it is looking like Chattanooga won. Michigan Stars, probably number two at this point. I mean, do you think there's any chance they uh, they overtake either of those two squads in, in the Eastern Conference? And how do they beat Michigan uh, this, this next two games? I'm still – I haven't gotten to the point where I've lost trust in it yet, but I keep getting the company line – Rostello is a tactics man and I want to see tactics and I, 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 I'm hoping to see a change. I want to see a, an absolute battle in Michigan next week. Um, I just want to see guys that look like they want to win, go out, leave it all there and, and, and do your worst. Yeah. I think even if, even if I'm feeling, bad about the the prior results or whatever it's still that rah-rah mentality of like yeah best team in nisa f y'all <laughs> yeah maybe i'm the uh the, the pessimist of the group and <laughs> i shouldn't be but uh, you know let's say they they take they nick a point on the road at romeo or romeo and then uh get three points at home all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good and we're in a good position in the table they they draw three points this week next week that could be a big no i wouldn't call it a turning point till it's stringing multiple matches together but a win away this week could be really big and i think you oh, yeah. get a win under you i think the guys feel more comfortable i think the guys feel a little more energized you come back into the plex in in july with with this dismal stream that's going to be rough so they got Michigan. It's Michigan away this this coming week. Then a couple of weeks, July 9th is Michigan again. And then not again until August where we see possibly the most nightmarish month of the year. Dan, I'm curious to hear your take. Is How much better is the Western Conference than the Eastern Conference, if at all? Like it, to, to me, when I'm watching, it just – looks like they're so much better than outside of Chattanooga and, and Michigan seems like they can hang. We have limited experience in it. Yes. And, and I think we could play with anybody on every, any, any given night, but it does seem like top to bottom, the Western conference is a little bit better. 
I mean, so right now, I, I, I think Cal United is the best team in the league. Although Chattanooga could 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 fight for that, definitely could by by far. So Cal United has been around for a long time, especially for a third division team in Mesa, and they've got this, this kind of development youth squad kind of pyramid below them. Um, so yeah, they've they've got all that going for them. Super deep. They really got really talented players, with a lot of experience. So that that's Cal United. That's easy. So Bay Cities. I mean, Anders is, just knows what he's doing. You know, he's got a, he's got the ability to draw from talent from that area. It's like a pipeline coming to the team, and he's just got to kind of get the right players to plug them in, and, and he's got them playing pretty well. Um, so like Bay Cities level for an expansion team is over Flower City Union. You know, um, who's probably the, the expansion team that struggled the most. Syracuse Pulse is like a team of Nisa mercenaries, right? So, so they've got a lot of experience, but they've kind of been thrown together. Um, that's uh, it's. I like for me, Flower City, though. I do. I, they, from an aesthetic perspective, oh yeah, they've gotten better. Their social media games on point. They're winning some games now. All of a sudden, and and actually in reality are in the playoff hunt a, you know a little more they haven't i think they played 12 games to our nine so maybe not so much but i sure i would say i think there. that with value united's issues taking them down a few pegs that that has weakened the west like i, I think that uh, it's hard to see where they are i think they're in the middle of the pack team so i think now because of that the west and the east are a bit closer because of value united doing doing their thing and LA um, forces inability to score a goal ever. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. That's that's a little yeah. Um, so I, as the seasons progressed, to be honest with you, the East is ca- cashing up a little bit to the West. It's not as much as I would say a couple of weeks ago when it was it was a different situation, and and still thinking oh LA is going to catch yeah LA is going to start scoring goals at any point now. Um, uh, it just just feels like the West has just a bit more of an edge for most of the teams. And you see what happened with Michigan. They, Michigan went, they're playing really well. They played well at home. Then they went out West and they basically just sat back and let the two West teams control the tempo and they didn't really push back. I'm, I'm hoping we see that against Maryland. I'm hoping that's the Michigan Stars team we see. But I, I have a feeling it's not going to be that way. I feel like Maryland caught a bit of a bad break that they caught Bay Cities as the first game on the East, East Coast swing. I feel like that would make a big difference. You, you fly into Maryland, you play that first game, then you drive 10 hours to Michigan, then you drive 10, 12 hours to Chattanooga. I feel like that, you know, the, the arrangement might oh, make yeah, a give difference. Him a but. Yeah, I mean, was there an extra box of protein shakes in that 14-passenger van? <laughs> Is the real question. Oh, he's so dreamy. He's just so dreamy. I think I, – I don't disagree with you, Mike, but I think that just like – I think when Bay Cities came to Maryland, I think Maryland was just caught off guard. Yeah, I got punched in I the mean, mouth. I think there's a different – I don't know that it's a better team situation, but there's a different style of play from these West Coast squads. There's just a different style of ball movement. I've got the, the this Cal United match playing in the background of my screen right now. It's just a different movement. Yeah, I mean, Cal United is definitely, definitely – uh... What are they on seven game win streak at this point? How, Dan? You said they've been around a long time. I'm, I'm, I've only been in, in this whole lower league thing since lat mid last season. So, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. I should, I should know this better. So there was a, 
there's a team called the LA Wolves that's been around like since the early 2000s, right? And and they were part of USL, UPSL, and uh, and uh, I think they won. I think they won a few US UPSL titles, and so they were this really good elite amateur adult amateur level team. And uh, uh, there's also the um, I forget what the what it's called the strikers youth youth system is is called something 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 different. Cal United, Marcus did Marcus Lee go? I think so. I think so. I know Camerly did, and um, three of the, three of their three of their young players did come up through that. Um, Trinan Brady Trinan did, um, and somebody else. Like, I think I don't know if Lee did. Anyway, so. Um, uh, Cal United, well, I think they might've even tried to get into the NASL 2.0 at the end. I think they were, they maybe even had gotten a franchise or something like that, or they're asking for a franchise. Um, and then when that collapsed, they became Cal United 2. I think they played in NPSL or something like that. Um, so they're actually, if you ever listen to the Cal United matches, Dennis Pope does the color for them. He'll talk about how there's three or four LA Wolves on this Cal United team. And that's because there's this continuum of, of these teams um, uh, that are that the Cal United Strikers. So, so this organization in, in, in different iterations has been around for a long to 10 years, 12 years, something like that for a while. Yeah. The, these teams that have been around a long time, just, I mean, they're a different animal. Uh, I mean, when you've got a stit, like I can't, I can't imagine the the powerhouse that Bay Cities is going to grow into as they continue to work their youth organization. Listening to that interview with with Anders and him saying like, "Yeah, we're pulling all these guys from local." Like, of course they are. They're pulling these guys from this hotbed. It's going to continue to grow. I mean, that's the hope behind behind Nisa League and. I think, Dan, you've probably seen the rise and fall of many more lower league soccer empires than I have. <laughs> I've only been interested in soccer. And I, I played it growing up, but I legitimately, last five years, I've become interested in soccer as a, in general and then lower league soccer and American soccer development. So I'll be sad if Nisa collapses, but, but, but I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's certainly possible. <laughs> this, this is the time it'll, it'll stick. It'll stick. This is, the, this is legal stick. <laughs> But you yeah, know, I want to be yeah, cognizant of everyone's time. It's uh, ten twenty-eight Eastern time here, so uh, we usually end with rants. Mm. Um, I kind of spring it on everybody last minute. Everyone forgets, so I'll start, and maybe you guys can think of think of a, a rant. And and actually, my rant's really just kind of a cheat. And I'm gonna want to ask Dan Creel <laughs> a question: Is is you know, do you think there is long-term viability in in Nisa? Like the clubs don't seem profitable. Um, do, do you foresee if you had to look in your crystal ball that the league has a chance of sticking around? I mean, so I, I will, I will say, I don't think profitability is ne- necessarily the, the, what I would hang my head on with, about whether some, a team is successful at this level. Cause I think, um, I think that's kind of an added bonus <laughs> at this point, especially when you're starting out, you know, I, I will say this. I, it's not all Nisa's fault, the situation they're in and the clubs in Nisa are in. Like the, this is the structure we have and you've got this really bad soccer structure in the U.S. and Nisa is imperfect, but it's also sitting in an imperfect structure. 
Um, I think they have to, I, I think they just, uh, Nisa just has to figure out how to sustain the league over time. They just have to stick around, that, that, you know, for a while um, to get traction and to just to kind of build interest and not because they're going to be seen as a flash in the pan for, for a while. You, you know, it's just going to be what it be what it is. They don't have the ability that MLS next pro does to have MLS money sitting behind them and the structure behind them to say, yep, oh, we're going to create a division three league. Boom. We just created a division three league. We got 20 plus teams. Yay. Right. Nisa doesn't, they're not, they don't have that. They just aren't able to do that. That's not their fault. They just don't have MLS money and MLS history and MLS backing. Um, I will say, and this will be my rant um, because I couldn't think of anything else. Um, I, I think for me, I, I think, and I've talked about this on nights. My one of my big concerns is they're obviously connected because, uh, but the Nisa business, the Nisa business operation, Nisa LLC versus Nisa League. There's tension there. There's there's there is the idea of Nisa as a league as an organization is independent clubs getting together and working together and not having to be locked into this franchise model of other 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 leagues and and being more much more open system is great it's great philosophy and it's something we we kind of sorely need in the u.s kind of the nisa llc that runs it is kind of a it's kind of a usual kind of business organization that's in it for reasons other than sport and competition and 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 openness and i think we kind of see this with uh this um carolina team Stumptown, whatever it was happening, where FC Carolina was supposed to buy Stumptown, right? I don't, don't even know what that means, right? Um, what are they buying? And when you're talking about Nisa, but that that's kind of what I what I'm talking about is is um, the tension there is something that people who don't like Nisa, and there's a lot of people who just actively dislike Nisa and want it to fail straight off the bat. Is they these could hook on to that kind of hypocrisy of Nisa LLC kind of touting themselves one way, but doing business another way. Um, my rant is, is, is I wish they would, I wish the Nisa LLC, whatever you want to call it, the business organization um, would kind of uh, get more in line with, with the, what the Nisa league standpoint stands for Nisa nation. Um, I think that would, I think that would go a long way to, to, creating more sustainable organization. Sorry. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. No, I mean, Alexi Lalas, as much as every, you know, love him or hate him. He, he posted a tweet today that said, (laughs) if you're pro rel on a league, why not just institute it today? If you ever mention another Alexi Lalas tweet, I'm just going to, I'm just going to find a way to crash Jen (laughs) Caster. Yeah, mouse traps. Don't worry about me. Um, I have a couple of beers. Actually, Dan, I was, I had a a Twitter discussion with um, Duke Keith, who who you guys at protagonist just interviewed. Uh, he's the the voice of the um, locomotive, the local USL team here. And one of the things I discussed with him is, I mean, obviously there's a lot of ego involved in the people that run these leagues, but say say all that got wiped out and they just looked at it and you had USL, NISA, 
UPSL, MPSL, and they all just ganged up and said, we're going to create the majority. Do you think there would be any sort of success with something like that, where they could make a tiered league from and create a, because isn't it all about representation in the Federation? Yeah, I mean, but then, right. And then you're getting, yeah. So, so you, you went from the theoretical to the practical, right? So yeah. And then that, yeah. the practical part is the thing that basically ends up kind of ruling everything, right? It's, it's all about power and power. The USSF is such a complicated power structure. And usually when you have the more complicated power structure is it's, it's set up that way to keep power, right? You, you keep kind of carving things up into little bits and pieces that don't make any sense. And, and, and you create this kind of Byzantine power structure. And that's what we got in, in us soccer soccer. I mean, if the big question is if you can get all these leagues working together to build something, yeah, they could do it. The problem is you've got, you've got to get all the egos somehow in check, which it's so such an ego driven sport. Right. And then you got to basically do that somehow outside of you without U.S. soccer putting their thumb on it and and MLS and, and I'm not I'm not bashing MLS but you know they're the big dog and they want to stay that way and you see what they're doing in Division Three instead of they could have MLS could have basically said right in, the, in your first scenario we want to develop talent in the U.S. and we're going to work with USL and we're going to work with xyz we're going to do that they basically said that we can just do it on our own we'll create this development league and we're going to do that and oh no if if the other division three leagues go under oh you know was not our fault you know what are we going to do so um i i'm i've i think i'm too old and too cynical now to think that it's kind of the the magical fairy dust is going to happen to everybody just kind of like become better people and and leave their egos at the door and actually want to work together on something i think that's it's just tough it's, at this point it's just tough to, to see all these people who have these little fight fiefdoms and and want to keep their power and really want other people to fail to actually just say like let's work together now it really does yeah it's just it's it's weird to me because it's like the only thing i can equate it to is like you have like five freshmen and one senior and the senior just keeps punching them in the head. And instead of saying, Hey, there's five of us and one of him, let's just fight each other. Yeah. But each of them like has to give up something like, right. So the, the, the scenario of the US soccer, one of them has like, one of them has a bat and one of them has a knife and one of them has a gun. And then you're basically saying, well, if we put pull them all together and the guy is with the knife is like, I want to give up my knife. My knife is cool. This is a cool knife. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to give you my knife. Then I don't have a knife, right? I can't trust you with my knife, right? Um, yeah, anyway, this has gone way off the rails. This, this, this is a, a supporter. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, if people are still listening 56 minutes in, God bless them all. I would say it's also up to supporters groups like uh, Old Bay Brigade. And I, I think that the way that soccer viewership is growing in the United States is through people are comfortable with the European game. They're growing up in, in the supporters are used to that, that way of supporting a club. Um, and now I'm forgetting where I'm going with that. So maybe I'll just support your local clubs. Everybody. That, local that's club. Honestly, that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a local Absolutely. club, it's like Maryland Bobcats. You go out and you watch them. Like, it doesn't matter if they're part of NISA or MLS Next Pro or, or UPSL. If, if they're your local club, go out and support them. Go watch a game, buy their merchandise. Like, yeah, that's what Thanks, you do. Thanks, Dan. You saved my ass there. <laughs> Alex, do you have a rant? 
Our uh, fearless leader before we go. I am so friggin' tired, and it has nothing to do with Nisa. I'm so friggin' tired of the light shows at soccer matches. Oh, thank you. MLS, international, <laughs> I don't care who it is. Pre-match, USA and Grenada was playing in the background, and I'm watching a goddamn laser show. <laughs> like, if Christian Pulisic is going to whine about how he doesn't think there's enough people in the stands, then maybe get back to real gritty on-your-feet football and stop with the stupid light shows. Because if you need – if we – as an American soccer culture need light shows to drive people to soccer matches, we're screwed. We might be screwed. <laughs> people like light shows, Alex. Watch, 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 Alex. At the next Bobcats home match, Evan's gonna be like <laughs> If he if he kills those lights after a goal, I'm just I'm just I kinda wanna now drive Light shows at the if he, if he well, no, hear me out. If he kills the lights but doesn't turn on Steve Winwood's higher love, then we've got an issue. But if higher love blasts through those speakers after a goal, I don't care what you do with the lights. <laughs>